our gospel reading this morning. <laughs> Did you get a look at that one? That's a tough one. That's tough. It's, it's tough for many reasons, other than the fact that it's a tough topic about the kind of uh, anger, the hatred that leads someone to murder, and the new standard that Jesus is, is saying. It's not good enough just to, well, I didn't kill somebody. There's a matter of the heart that actually matters to him that makes you just as guilty. It's also a tough one because it's easy to misunderstand. It's easy to apply not to ourselves, but to other people. It's way easier to do that, right? It's easy to dismiss or sort of just walk out of here this morning thinking like, well, thank goodness I'm not a murderer. I think that one wasn't for me. I want to focus uh, this morning very carefully on this text, not in just sort of the plain sense of uh, murder, because, but I want to go where Jesus goes with this, to the matter of the heart, the sort of anger and the hatred, the, the conditions of our hearts, and deal with some things that I think are related very closely to that. I'm going to focus on these first six verses in Matthew 5, beginning at 21, where Jesus says, you have heard it said. Let's begin here. You have heard it said, Jesus begins. But I say to you, this is astounding. Actually, if you just pause in this statement that Jesus is making, you have heard it said, but I say to you, it's really incredible what's happening. Picture this. He is the word of God. He is the word of God in the flesh. Standing there saying, you have heard it said, referring to the law, the Torah, the teaching that God has once revealed. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I, the word of God in flesh, now say this to you. What a stunning moment that can really easily be quickly read over. Not to realize that Jesus as divinity stands with authority to not even, not only refer to what he has once revealed, but to clarify, deepen it, take it further, to offer more explanation to us of his law. This is the God who has once spoke and continues to speak among us. Amen? He's still speaking. He'll speak to us this morning if you're willing, if you're listening. And he does this with the kind of comprehensive authority that no one on earth, no, ever, no one ever in human history has had this kind of comprehensive and divine authority. He is plainly speaking God among people here. And this is really critical that we understand that Jesus is saying this teaching and not just some well-intended rabbi or some person like you and I. This actually makes all the difference for him to be able to say, but I say to you. So check out what he does next. You've heard the commandment, you shall not murder, right? He goes far deeper than this, tracing this violence of murder to its dark lair in the human heart. Hatred. Hating someone may not break a law, for instance, but it has no place in the hearts of those who belong to the kingdom of God. The secrets of the heart, we can bear those secrets. In fact, we come and uh, this morning we pray that to the God who, before whom no secret can be. All secrets are bare open to the Lord. There's nothing that we can hide uh, before him. And Jesus is describing a greater way with him being able to see the conditions of our hearts that we cannot hide. Jesus stands among us and declares a greater way. Instead of concealing our hatred or overlooking our unreconciled relationships with our accusers or with others, 
Jesus said it's not good enough to not murder them or just to have hatred in your heart. He is compelling us to seek reconciliation, to pursue them, to make things right. You see that? This is very different. What a greater way, pursuing reconciliation, even with those who hate us or that we might hate. To the extent that it means leaving our gift at the altar, it would be like all of us stopping right now. Does someone have beef with you? You know what, let's stop. I'll even wear my robes. So let's go make this right before we come back to the altar in which God reconciles the world to himself. This is how stunning his teaching is. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Go and make things right with your brother or sister and then return once you've been reconciled. God's loving God for us requires both parts of that commandment that we often overlook, right? And others. Loving God and our neighbor is part of this. So I think we're all sort of familiar with this. Yeah, this is important. We should be reconciled. What does this really look like in real life? And and I want to descend even deeper into those uncomfortable topics socially, communally that we have, not just individually, but communally that we have. And for example, what's on my heart and mind this month in Black History Month, the ways that we can celebrate our black brothers and sisters who have witnessed to this and that we can learn from. So I want to tell you a pretty heavy but amazing example of what this looks like. On a Wednesday evening in Charleston, a Bible study closed in a word of prayer. And a self-proclaimed, self-described white supremacist stood up and opened fire, taking nine lives. You may remember this back in 2015 at Mother Emanuel Church in South Carolina. At the shooter's hearing, uh, Nadine Collier who lost her mother in this horrific tragedy, this crime. She stood up at this hearing and spoke what to me feels like a sermon in three words in this scene. I forgive you. She said, you took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. And what happened next was even more stunning. One by one, the families of these uh, victims stood, many of them stood in that courtroom at that hearing, offering words of forgiveness to this man who murdered their family members. Now, if anyone had good reason to be angry, wouldn't it be these folks? If anyone had reason to hate, wouldn't it be these folks? But in these disciples, we, we witness something far greater, something I think Jesus is teaching us this morning, a deeper commitment to reconciliation than to hatred or anger or even murder in response. The black church tradition in the U.S. has long been formed through this kind of suffering and violence, and sadly it has. But the fruit of this is, and the good news for us, it now stands as a witness of what it looks like then to bear these teachings of Jesus when it counts and when it costs and when it's hard. Even when their white brothers and sisters in the church would rather not talk about this and don't want to hear it, still, again and again, the black church stands and bears witness of what reconciliation could look like. Despite being on the receiving end, oftentimes of murder and anger and hatred and insults, being called fool, that we heard from in scripture, 
and far worse, our black brothers and sisters have again and again testified to the kind of reconciliation that Jesus offers us. That's good news, friends. They have left their gift at the altar, so to speak, and pursued reconciliation with the white church, their own white brothers and sisters. Like anger and hatred, this kind of racism that the black churches experience is a cancer of the heart. It is a matter of the heart. Yes, it is also a matter of systems and actions and behavior, sure. But it is a cancer of the heart that spills into our lives in biases, in prejudice, in our unjust actions and systems. It has kept our church, our beloved church of Christ, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Racism has kept us from pursuing and seeking the fullness of that reconciliation that Jesus offers. And it still keeps us in subtle ways, in things that you'll hear people say like, well, I don't have a racist bone in my body, Sean. I have black friends. Jesus was treating a similar deflection. Like, well, at least I haven't murdered anybody. Better than that guy. All the while in our hearts, possibly harboring work that needs to be done, hatred that needs to be healed and reconciled. Anger, even small ways of anger and biases and pride that make us think we might be better than our brother and sister. But Jesus, thank God for him. He knows the condition of our hearts. We can parade around and say all these kinds of things and act like everything's okay when actually we do need some treatment in the heart. Jesus sees it. Praise God for that. That we can't just walk around in life fooling ourselves and everyone else. But Jesus can see the condition of our hearts and, even more, some more good news, he can heal it. Following him, he can heal it. He probes always deeper than we want to go. Always past the discomforts. Oh, hold on, Jesus. Everything over here you can deal with, but come on, leave me alone. I don't even want to talk about this. Why are we talking about this? Jesus goes deeper and deeper. Even the stories we tell about ourselves, to ourselves, Jesus sees through and he goes deeper. And thank God he does. Because then we can find healing. Then we can find repentance. Then we can find reconciliation. He sees the need that we have more than we realize we need it. We may not be murderers, maybe. But by his standard, our hearts make us guilty. We may not be adulterers or liars, as the reading goes on. But by his standards, our hearts make us guilty. The good news is he has come to forgive and heal the repentant. He has come to bring healing to the sick. He has come to reconcile the world to himself. And he's starting with us, friends, with his church. He's working with us. Now, I know racism and its effects, we pray about it every Sunday. Um, it still lingers in the world, but it also still lingers in Christ's church. And how awful is that? Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour of the week in America, right? So it's not acceptable uh, for us to commit to not being a racist and hoping things work out, like not murdering and hoping other people don't. No, Jesus sees our hearts and charges us to pursue reconciliation. It's not good enough to say, well, I'll do my best to avoid this sin. No, Jesus is calling us to something far more compelling in reconciliation. 
Jesus didn't bring into existence a community defined what, by what it avoids. Jesus did not bring into existence a community defined by what it avoids or what it fears. He brought into a community, into existence a community that he makes possible through his own body, through his own suffering, a community marked by reconciliation and peace and self-giving love. Everything that you see in him, that's the community he really makes possible among us, friends. That's what we're for. How much better news is that? We are defined by his reconciling love. And with renovated hearts, we can go into the world bearing the fruit of his kingdom. That's what you're charged with this morning. And friends, all of the world's sin, not just racism, but all of it, all of the world's sin, it's murderous anger, it's adulterous lust, it's lies. All of that has been exhausted in the crucified body of Jesus. The world just doesn't know this. They carry on as if it hasn't. But indeed, and in fact, all of the world's sin has been exhausted in the crucified body of our Lord. And in his victory of resurrection, Jesus has made possible for us to be a member of a community of resurrection, of a new kingdom, of a people that pursue reconciliation, that witness to the truth even in a world still in darkness. This is so important for our church, and I know all of you agree with me on this. This is so important. This is why we preach about it. This is why we pray about it. In fact, in our life together course, we teach what it looks like to pursue reconciliation because it's a cool idea. Everybody loves it, but how do you do it? We teach how to pursue reconciliation. It matters to us, and I know it matters to you. This is why we pray every week to dismantle racism in our society. We have work here to do that we need God's help in doing. This is why we're not just repenting of racism, but learning the reconciling work of anti-racism, of working against those evils, not just to do good, but guess where Jesus is and guess what he's up to? Anti-racism and reconciliation, because that's where our Messiah is leading us. This is why we all work so hard for this, friends, right? Because we're following the Messiah into this new world that only he can establish. So much of what we have learned from our black brothers and sisters who have left their gift at the altar, uh, we now hear again today and get to bear the benefit of it, the fruit of this, following their lead in many ways to a place where we can all be healed and renewed. So friends, let us continue to bear this witness coming to the table this morning with the fellowship, in the fellowship of the one who is making all things new and reconciling all people to himself. Amen. Mm -hmm.